Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Dr. David Jeremiah calls it the most offensive thing Jesus ever said, and it's only become more so in today's relativistic culture. Today on Turning Point, David examines Christ's claim to be the only way to heaven. Offensive or not, it's a truth we're responsible to share with our world. With encouragement for doing that, and to introduce the conclusion of his message, is he past or is he present? Here's David. And it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the door of the sheepfold, and he is the only way to heaven. People really bristle when you say that, and obviously I wouldn't say it if it wasn't in the Bible. It's God's Word that tells us that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven. We'll have more about that in the lesson we share together today. But before we get there, let me just remind you again of the resources that are available to you from this series. First of all, the 250-page hardback book, The Jesus You May Not Know, is available for a gift of any size during this month. But you have to ask for it. You have to ask for the book. So when you send your gift uh, in these next couple of days, make sure when you do so, you ask for the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. The study guide that goes with this and the CD package that supports it, uh, these are available from uh, our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. Just go there today, check it out, and you'll find all the information about this whole series and how you can get uh, information that will help you study it yourself and share your study with others. It's one of the great things you can do is to take the hard work we've done to put these materials in this format and then use them to interact with your friends. And never before has there been such a great title, The Jesus You May Not Know. If there's one thing we need right now, it's Jesus. And to know him and to not only know about him, but to know him personally, that's our goal. And I hope you'll take advantage of that during this series. Well, right now we're going to do part two of Is He Pastor? Is He Present? This is where we're going to talk about the exclusive nature of the claim of Jesus Christ to be the way to God. When Jesus said, I am the door, what he means is just as The shepherd was the door of the sheepfold. I am the door. By me, you have to enter in. No one comes into the fold except through me. Now, this is very similar to the next I am. Jesus next says, I am the good shepherd. You know that if you go to Israel and you do any historical tour, you see the places where people are buried or places where they have recovered the culture of Jesus' day, what you will discover is that the favorite Christian figure in all of these catacombs is the figure of a shepherd. He is in the bloom of his youth. He has a crook or a shepherd's pipe in his hand. Sometimes he is attended by one sheep only, other times by two. Usually in the picture there are several sheep at his feet in various attitudes. It was a shepherd these early Christians loved to paint on the walls of their chapels, on their oratories, and chisel them on their tombs. And they engraved the image of the shepherd on the chalices which they used 
to take the Lord's Supper. They traced it in gold on the glasses from which they drank. And if you go to any of the souvenir shops in Israel, you will find many, many things that have shepherds emblazed upon them. In our day, the best loved psalm is, what is it? It's the shepherd psalm, right? Now, let me tell you something that's really interesting. Jesus never referred to himself as a priest. He never referred to himself as a preacher. He never called himself a clergyman. He never said he was a bishop. He never said he was an elder. But oh, how he loved to call himself the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. Let me tell you three things about a shepherd that the Bible teaches about Jesus. First of all, the good shepherd loves his sheep. We've been talking a lot about this at our house, and I know you understand. I've never been all that much for having an animal. My wife's had two cats for as long as I can remember. That may be one of the reasons. I don't know. (laughs) But as you know, we have a puppy. And I didn't know you could love an animal like we love that puppy. I mean, I love that dog like he was one of my kids. I take him everywhere I go if I can. I took him to the bank the other day. He sat up on the bank and I did my stuff. And people look at me like I'm, I think they think I'm just getting old. I think that's what they think. But I love that puppy and I call him by name. And when I leave the house, he cries. When I come back, he gets all excited. He's my friend. And I think that the shepherds of those early days had that kind of relationship with their sheep. Uh, We have some evidence that they gave their sheep names. And they called their sheep by name. And when they would come back into the fold at night, they counted them. They made sure all of them got in. You know the story about the shepherd that had 100 sheep and one of them was lost and he left the 99 and he went to find the one? That's the image of a shepherd. The sheep are the only animal I know that are totally helpless without a shepherd. I've been to ministerial conferences where they speak on the shepherd and the sheep, and they love to go into detail about how sheep are the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. And then they, they say really nice things about their congregation. I don't get it, but that's what they do. Well, I'm not going down that road, but I want to tell you this. We're sheep. And we're as helpless in our own walk in the Christian world as sheep are without a shepherd. Ladies and gentlemen, we need a shepherd. And we need a shepherd who calls us by name. We need a shepherd who knows us. We need a shepherd who makes sure that we get in the fold before darkness and protects us and keeps evil beasts away from us. We need a shepherd. That's why we love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Did you ever read the part that says, He leads me beside still waters. Why does he do that? Because I don't have enough sense to go there myself. (laughs) I'm a sheep. I am a shepherd, but I'm also a sheep. The good shepherd loves his sheep, and the good shepherd leads his sheep. Have you ever had times like this? I was thinking about this the other day. You know, when we get in our car, I have a GPS on my phone. Donna's got one on her phone, and we got one in the car. And we sort of look at each other. Which GPS should we use? Sometimes we turn the one on in the car, and we turn on the one on the phone, and they don't agree. 
I have gotten lost a lot following my little GPS. Anybody want to say, I, I, you know? When it comes to directions, you all know I'm hopeless. Sometimes life feels to me like I'm looking at a map and someone took the names of all the roads and all the streets and all the places off the map and it's just a bunch of lines and I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm supposed to do. I've probably said this to the Lord more in recent years than ever in my early life. Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. How many of you know when you don't know what to do and you don't have a map that makes any sense, you've got to stay close to the shepherd? People always ask me, Dr. Jeremiah, how can I know the will of God? And what they want me to do is to give them some formula that they can go A, B, C, D, and E. When they get all the spaces filled in, they know they're supposed to be a doctor and not a lawyer. But the Bible isn't like that. And though I have heard many constructs and many sermons about how to know the will of God, I just kind of like you to put them all at the side and remember one simple thing. The way you know the will of God is you stay close to the leader who is your shepherd. You stay close to the shepherd who has the way all mapped out, and as long as you stay close to him, you will always be in the will of God. I don't think the will of God is a place or a position. The will of God is a process. It's a process of walking with the shepherd. And the best way to know that is to stay close to him. Here's a couple of verses that I wanted to give you today. Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the right way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. If you know, ladies and gentlemen, I've had that experience. When I didn't know what to do, I've just said, Lord God, I don't know what to do but my eyes are on you, and in very short time, God has told me what the next step looked like. The Lord is our shepherd. He loves us, and he leads us, but here is the most important thing about this shepherd. He lays down his life for us. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You know, in studying the Bible, one of the things you learn pretty quickly if you're a student of the Bible is if the Bible says the same thing a whole bunch of times in a short passage, it's usually pretty important. I mean, this is called emphasis. The Bible probably didn't have highlighters. Writers of the Bible didn't underline things. But here's what happened. If they wanted to make a point, they made the point by saying it over and over again. So let me just direct your attention to the 10th chapter of John, and I want to read four verses that are in a very short span. See if you can't pick up what the writer of this text wants us to know. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. John 10, 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10, 17, I lay down my life that I may take it again. John 10, 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down to myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. So here is the question. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Was it us with our sins? In some way, all of those are true. But the Scripture says no one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down on his own. Our Lord's death was voluntary. 
He spoke of laying it down and taking it back up. No one took his life from him, for no one had the authority or the power to do so. The good shepherd, the Son of God, voluntarily, willingly, of his own volition, out of love, laid down his life for you and for me. At the conclusion of the Second World War, as the troops were returning to America, a mother went down to the port to meet her son who was coming home from the battle. She had not been prepared for the extent of his wounds. He was the ultimate wounded warrior. And as the boys came down the gangplanks and were brought down in wheelchairs, she looked all over for her own son, and finally she saw him. And as soon as she could, she worked her way through the crowd to the boy, and she said, Son, look up at your mother. Look up at me. And the boy said, I can't do that, mother. My eyes are gone. She staggered for a moment, and then she said, Then, son, just stand up and greet your old mother. And he said, I cannot, mother. My legs are gone, too. As the awfulness of the war's cruelty settled in upon this dear woman, she knelt near to the wounded boy's body, and she whispered, Then, son, just put your arms around your mother's neck and give her a hug. And he said, Mother, I cannot, for I have lost my arms, too. And the devastated woman began to sob, and she cried out, This terrible and cruel war, you've lost your eyes, you've lost your legs, you've lost your arms. And the boy raised himself up the best he could to the full height of the wheelchair, and he said, Oh, no, mother, don't say that. Lost them? No, 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 mother. I didn't lose them. I gave them for my country. And the point is, and the point is, Jesus did not lose his life. He gave it. He gave his life in behalf of you and me. He voluntarily laid down his life for us in order that we might have eternal and abundant life. He is the good shepherd. And the Bible says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He is the good shepherd. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd, and the Bible says he is also the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 11, where this statement appears, Jesus has been called to what he thought at first was the bedside of Lazarus and then to the graveside of Lazarus. Martha was really upset with Jesus, and she said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? And the Jewish people of our Lord's day did not believe many of them in the resurrection. There was a whole group of them called the Sadducees. They didn't even believe the resurrection existed. And here is Jesus saying to this woman, I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, in a few moments, he's going to prove it. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb. The Bible is so clear about this part of what Jesus does. Jesus is not just the I am for now. He's the I am for the future. You say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, how's he going to resurrect us? I mean, it seems like everybody's getting cremated now. And they take their ashes out to the ocean and they scatter them all over the ocean. And Jesus is going to resurrect us. Let me just say to you, the same Jesus who put them together the first time can get them together the second time. I don't worry about that. The Bible says that one day when Jesus comes back, 
And if we've passed on, our bodies are in our grave, our bodies are dead, but we're still alive. And the Bible says Jesus is going to bring us with him, bring the spirits and souls of those who have died with him. And when the trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel is heard, those either collected or scattered remnants of our old body will be reconstituted into a like-sized body as unto the Lord Jesus. In other words, when Jesus comes back to receive us to himself, if we have died and we're in our grave, we're going to be raised up, and in that resurrection process, we are going to get a whole new body. We're going to get an extreme makeover on our way to heaven. You say, how do you know that? Listen to this. Listen to these words from Philippians. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Amen. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, what does that mean to you? What it means to me is, though I don't want to die, I'm not afraid to die. Because more than anything else that I know in all the world, I know that when I die, that's not the end. God has a wonderful plan for your life and mine that goes past the grave and ends up in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the next one. This is the most offensive thing Jesus ever said when he was on this earth. Are you ready for it? Here's what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Try that on at your next office party and see what happens. One of the biggest issues today is that you cannot be exclusive with the gospel. And you hear things like, don't all roads lead to heaven? No, that's a bad trip. You don't want to go on that trip. (laughs) Isn't everyone's faith just a matter of sincerity? No. How many of you know you can be sincerely wrong? I am directionally challenged, and I am a living illustration that you can be directionally, seriously wrong. And we have such trouble with this idea that Almighty God would say to us through His Word, here's the way to come to God, and there's only one way. And I remember one summer, we had a summer Bible conference speaker, and he got up and he said something I never forgot. He said, listen, just as you can only be born physically one way, don't be surprised you can only be born spiritually one way. God put it in motion. Wasn't it totally, uncharacteristically, exclusive of God to make being born the same for everybody who gets born physically. And the Bible says in order to get to heaven, you have to be born again. So how do you get born again? There's only one way. Just like there's only one way to be born the first time, there's only one way to be born the second time. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, there is one God and one man between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. There's only one way. And you can go home and say, well, I didn't like that sermon, Pastor. I didn't think that was very nice. I don't think you should say those kind of things. You know, you could get in trouble for saying that. Well, bring on the trouble. Because I'm here to tell you that if a man claims to be a representative of God and gives you any other message, he's not helping you. He's damning you to an eternity without God. 
He's telling you there's a way you can get to heaven, and that way isn't there. It isn't a Baptist way. It isn't a Presbyterian way. It isn't a Methodist way. It's not a charismatic way. It's God's way. God said you can get to heaven. Here's how you do it, through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said that in John 14, 1 through 6. This is one of his great I ams. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Finally, he said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. John 15, you have to stay connected to me if you're going to bear fruit. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. And he says, if you want to be fruitful as a Christian, stay plugged into the vine. This whole passage in John 15 is really a wonderful thing to study. It starts out by saying, if you're connected to the vine, you'll have some fruit. If you stay connected and really work it and make sure that you stay connected to the vine, you'll have more fruit. And finally, at the end, it says you can have much fruit. You can have some fruit, you can have more fruit, or you can have much fruit. Everybody who's a Christian has some fruit in their life or they're not a Christian. And here's the secret. The closer you stay to the vine, the more fruitful you will be. And I've learned through many illustrations in my life that the way the Lord manages that for all of us, because most of us don't have the discipline to keep things out of our lives that suck up the juice of God, he prunes us, doesn't he? That's what God does. When you're in the vine, the Bible says, the heavenly Father, who's the gardener, he prunes you. Here's one I've learned, and this is what I want you to take home with you. You are never closer to the vine and to the Father than you are when you are being pruned. You will never sense the presence of the Lord and his love for you more than when he reaches down and begins to do that work in your life. And he says, no, this is a leafy branch and it's sucking you dry. You need to get that out of your life because I have plans for you. And my plans are that you will prosper here and prosper here. And if you do all of these other things, you can't prosper in the things I want you to prosper in. So there you have it, seven statements about Jesus. Seven things you may not have known about Jesus. Some of them you do. But I'm here to tell you, men and women, this Jesus I've been talking about, he's the real deal. I asked a man this week about his relationship with the Lord, and he started giving me this long diatribe about his church, and I didn't care about that. Church really is important, but it's not the answer. What about Jesus? Is he the bread of your life? Is he the light of your world? Is he the door? Is he your shepherd? Is he your way, your truth, and your life? Is he the vine for you? He can be if you just put your trust in him. It starts at a decision, at a moment in time when you say, Okay, Lord, here I am. This is my life. Move in and take over. And he will. There's an old chorus I used to sing growing up that went like this, I have decided to follow Jesus. And more and more I believe uh, in my own heart that this is a decision we make. We may not have all of the information we would like to have, but we make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Let me suggest to you that when you make that decision, uh, just light begins to pour in on your life. The more you commit yourself to him, the more you understand how vital it is that you do that. You have to make the decision. You're the only one. He doesn't bully his way into your life. He waits for you to decide. 
And I'd like to ask you to think about doing that right now today. Will you decide to follow Jesus? Will you ask him to come and forgive you of your sin and give you the gift of eternal life? And will you open your heart to him so that he can come and take up his residence within you and guide and lead and encourage and strengthen you from this day forward? If you do that, if you make that decision today, wherever you are, whatever situation you may be in, if you get in touch with us, we'll send you a couple of um, booklets that will help you get started. One's called Your Greatest Turning Point, and the other's called First Steps of Faith. These two booklets are absolutely free. We would love to send them to you because we want you to get started right in your walk with the Lord. Don't forget, friends, we're getting down to the very last of this month, and that means the very last opportunity for you to get a copy of the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. This 250-page hardback, beautifully designed book is yours for a gift of any size during the month of May. So you need to get your gift in the mail and then ask for this book when you do so, and we'll send it to you. We're sending out thousands of copies of this book, even as I speak, and we want to make sure you get on the list. We just have a couple of days left for you to do that, so make sure you do it today. Information about other materials for the Jesus You May Not Know series is available at our website. You can go there today and get all the information you need. And don't forget to be with us tomorrow, because tomorrow we're going to ask this question. Is he the king of the Jews, or is he king of kings? We'll find out the answer tomorrow, right here on Turning Point. The message you just heard originated at Shadow Mountain Community Church with Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Share with us the difference Turning Point is making in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 70509, RPO Oak Street, Vancouver, B.C., V6M0A3. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It's written to give you a deeper intimacy with Christ and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart device, or if you prefer, search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Contact us today. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content. An extensive cross-reference system and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. 
If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca.